Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. Welcome. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are honored that you've chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. So grateful to have you, as well as all of those out in Prescott Valley. So grateful for you guys today. Uh, We are diving into our series that we've been in for the last couple of months where we are studying the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And we got a lot of ground to cover today because we are going to be tackling what is probably one of the most controversial aspects of the Holy Spirit, and that is a conversation about the gifts of the Spirit. So that's where we're diving in today. Now, before we begin, one of the things that I love about our church is the diversity from which this congregation is made up of. So just to help you get a little bit of an idea, like, like this church is made up of almost... Any denomination or spiritual background you can think of, there are going to be people here who come from that background. So let me just, let's play along here if you could. Um, I'm going to name some branches of the Christian faith, and if this has been part of your spiritual journey, then I want you just to raise your hand, all right? So how many of you all come from Baptist backgrounds? So anybody? Okay. How many of you all come from Catholic backgrounds? Okay, a lot of Catholics. Methodist, Assemblies of God, Presbyterians, uh, Lutherans, uh, Episcopalians, uh, Church of Christ, EV Free, any covenant people? I don't have any here. All right, maybe on PV. Uh, Foursquare, any Foursquare? How many... uh, Pentecostals? See, now, I don't even think you're all real Pentecostals, because if you were, those hands would have been way up higher, a lot quicker. I think you're faking it. Uh, Vineyard, Calvary Chapel. All right. So this, you get a little bit of a flavor of what I'm trying to describe here. Like, how many of you all even come from a, a flavor of Christianity that I didn't even name it? I didn't even, is it, yeah, look, it's like, there's so many, so much. And that's one of the cool things about this church. It, it also means that, that when we come in here, we all come in with vast array of expectations and experiences, 
Okay. And nowhere is that made more clear than around this topic of the gifts of the Spirit. Because if you grew up Lutheran or Catholic, you likely had the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost mentioned in your liturgy, but you never expected for him to show up. Whereas if you came from the Assemblies of God or the Pentecostal backgrounds, there was always a huge expectation that the Holy Spirit would show up in all sorts of ways. Every, everything from uh, dancing in the aisle to being slain in the Spirit to speaking in tongues to laughing uncontrollably, all of these were expressions and expectations of the power and the presence of the Spirit in your body. And, and you expected Him to show up. And you did not get to go home until he did. <laughs> and while that, and while those churches were partying it out with the Holy Spirit, those of you who come from some Baptist churches or you Church of Christ folks, like if somebody merely raised their hand in worship, somebody called a deacon's meeting by the end of the day. Like... <laughs> So, something's got to be done here, right? So we have, when we, so when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, it's natural for us to want to run this conversation through the filter of our expectations and experiences. That's natural. It doesn't make it good and it doesn't make it right. There's a lot of things that come natural to us that aren't good and aren't right. So in this conversation, instead of us running our running this conversation through the filter of our experiences, I want to ask you to try really, really hard with me to run this conversation through the filter of the Word of God. So there's no better place in Scripture for us to do that than 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you've got your Bibles, join me there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, set the context. This was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of believers that made up the church in the city of Corinth. And actually this, what we have in our Bible, is actually a response letter that, to some questions that they had asked Paul. So Paul had went to this city, he had shared the gospel, stayed there and taught them for about 18 months, I think. And then he left. And so he got them on the track. But as they're trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus, they had some questions. And so they sent Paul a list of questions and he answers them back in this letter we call 1 Corinthians. And one of the questions they had was around the gifts of the Spirit. So it's a big deal to Paul. And it's a big deal to this church, which is why actually in, the, in this letter, he spends chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14 addressing this question of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Three chapters in this letter for this one question. So let's dive in. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So Paul begins with this idea that this should not be something that we are constantly trying to figure out. He doesn't want us to be uninformed. He doesn't want us to be confused about this. He wants us to know about the gifts of the Spirit. And over the next few chapters, again, three chapters, he gives us a lot of great information. Again, the struggle for most of us is we have to resist the urge to run what he teaches through our experience rather than just listening to what he actually has 
to say. Drop down to verse four. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So here is the first thing that we need to understand about the gifts of the spirit. They come in different forms. Look what it says. There are different kinds of gifts. There are different kinds of service. There are different kinds of working. So there's different. It's different. There's lots of different ways that the Spirit works. Paul is going to give us some specifics throughout this chapter, but he's not going to give us an exhaustive list. I don't think we have an exhaustive list, but don't miss this. With the gifts of the Spirit, there is diversity. With the gifts of the Spirit, there is distinction. One is different from the other. There is difference in the gifts. But you know what there's not? Division. Because while he says there's different kinds of gifts and different kinds of workings and different kinds of service, notice what else he says. But there is the same spirit who distributes them. It is the same Lord who is working. It is the same God behind all of them. There's different gifts, but the same God. And notice we have, goes all the way back to week one of this series. The Trinity shows up right here in the middle of the giftings. You have the Father God the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit are all intertwined here in these giftings. It is different gifts, but the same God. The three in one right here who is behind all of these gifts. And just like the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all different, they are all distinct, there is no division So it is with the gifts of the Spirit. They are different gifts, but they come from the same God and they're made to accomplish the same purpose. Let's continue. Let's go to verse seven. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, each one means each one of you. If you are in Christ, he's talking about you. To each one who is in Christ, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. The Spirit has given a gift to everyone who is in Christ. Now, this manifestation, this gift of the Spirit, is not something you had before you came into Jesus. It is something you've been given because you have come into Jesus and because the Spirit has come into you, okay? So this is not your singing voice unless you couldn't sing before you came to Christ. This is not your height, all right, unless you were short before you met Jesus, okay? This is not your bubbly personality. It's not your spiritual gift unless you were an old grump like me before you met Jesus, and then it might be. This isn't something you were born with. It's something you were given 
by the Holy Spirit when you came into Christ. And why were you given this gift? You were given it for the common good. Meaning that this gift that you were given by the Spirit isn't really for you. And it isn't even about you. It's for the common good of the body of Christ. Each of you who are in Christ have been given a spirit, given given by the spirit, a manifestation of the spirit that is meant to be used for the rest of us. This is one of the greatest misconceptions about the gifts of the spirit. If you think that the gift that you have been given is for you, for your glory, for your ego, for your comfort, for your edification alone, then you're missing it. It isn't about you. It wasn't given for you. It was given for the common good, for the benefit of the body of Christ. And this is one of the greatest arguments for being connected to the body of Christ. When you are disconnected from the church, when you are disconnected then you are robbing the church of the gift that God gave you for the benefit of those around you. When you are disconnected, it is not just that you lose out on something. We all lose out on something because you were given a gift, not for your sake, but for ours. You have the spirit-given gift that was meant for us. And so when you disconnect yourself, you're life group misses out. Your discipleship group misses out. The the people you serve with miss out. The people you worship with miss out. We miss out because the gift God gave you was meant to be experienced by us. And we don't have time to work through it all, but Paul in this text in chapter 12, 13, and 14, he utilizes this imagery of the body, a body, The body of Christ is made up of all sorts of different pieces and parts, hands and feet and knees and neck and eyes and ears, and they all go together to accomplish the same uh, purpose. But if you take one of them away, if you cut off the hand from the body, that body is literally handicapped. It cannot be as effective as it was meant to be. And a hand that's disconnected from the body will die. It is absolutely useless. That's the imagery that Paul connects to these giftings of the Spirit, that they are meant to be utilized together for the sake of a common goal. Your gifting from the Spirit empowers the church to operate at its fullness. Now, what exactly are the gifts of the Spirit? Paul gives us a few. To one, there is given the gift, I'm sorry, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues and to, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, again, this is not an exhaustive list. Uh, in fact, Paul write a letter to the 
people in the church of Rome, and he lists some other gifts of the Spirit, like serving and encouraging and teaching and giving generously and leading and acts of service. He lists them as gifts of the Spirit as well. Again, I don't think this list is meant to be exhaustive. Like These are just manifestations of the Spirit that are at work in the people of God and have been through the ages. Now, What's interesting is that those that are listed in the book of Romans chapter 12, they aren't really that controversial. Like nobody's arguing about the gifts of the Spirit as it relates to teaching and mercy and generosity and leading and serving. Like nobody's arguing about that stuff. But this list here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that's another story. Because within this list, we have what are often referred to as the miraculous gifts. Some have this miraculous powers that are given to them. Others have the gift of healing. There are others who have the gift of speaking in tongues. There are others interpreting tongues. Some have gift of prophecy. Like these are often called the miraculous gifts. Some will call them the sign gifts or the charismatic gifts. And frankly, these are the only ones anybody ever cares about, which is actually really sad. But it's true. So we're going to have to talk about them. When it comes to the miraculous gifts, there are really two very enthusiastic camps that want to argue about the miraculous gifts. Two very enthusiastic camps. So I want to share them with you. Camp one says that these gifts are no longer available for the people of God. That's one camp. There there are people who would say that these gifts were given in the first century to the apostles and those who were closest to the apostles for the sake of getting the church started. They were there for the launch of the church. They were used to display God's power and presence up until the time that the Bible was completed. And once we had a completed Bible, then these gifts ceased to be available for the people of God. So that's one camp. These aren't available anymore. Move on. Camp two says... Not only are these gifts available, but these gifts are mandatory for the people of God. Because unless you display one of these gifts, you aren't actually even saved. So that's camp two. They would say that that to be a Christian, you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is true. There's no doubt about that. And they would add, though, that the only way that the Spirit manifests himself in a person's life is through the miraculous gifts. That's how you know you have the Spirit. If you don't have one of these miraculous gifts, you don't have the Spirit, and thus you are not saved. So Camp 2 would say not only are these available, they're actually mandatory for anybody who is in Christ. 
And people in both of these camps, there are people in both of these camps who are hardcore about what they believe related to these things. And what I want to do is to stand right in between them, look at both of them, and with all the humility I can muster, say, you're both wrong. But what I think doesn't really matter. What you think doesn't really matter. The only thing that matters is what does the scriptures say? So I want to argue biblically for a third option. And here's the third option. It's my contention that the miraculous gifts are available. They haven't ceased, but they aren't given to everyone. So this is what I would say is the biblical third option. And now I want to share with you why it is that I've come to this conclusion. And then you can argue with me afterwards. First off, I look at this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. And I also look at Romans chapter 12. And I also look at Ephesians chapter 4, all of which include some version of a miraculous gift. And I look at all of these texts, and in all of these texts, it doesn't just teach us about the gifts. It actually, all of them teach us about the proper use of these gifts. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, there's a whole chapter specifically addressing how the gift of speaking in tongues should be utilized. A whole chapter. And for me, I just have a really hard time believing that the Holy Spirit would inspire so much teaching about these gifts in his everlasting word if those gifts were only going to be available for a decade or two after this was written. Just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Secondly, I look at the diversity of where these gifts show up. Like they began in Jerusalem, but they didn't stay there. We also find them at work in the city of Ephesus and in Rome and in Thessalonica and in the uh, region of uh, Galatia and Caesarea and Antioch. In other words, these gifts all tend to show up wherever it is that the gospel goes. And they aren't, they aren't just practiced by the apostles. And they aren't even just practiced by the people who are closest to the apostles. But they were practiced by common people. Guys like Ananias. Ananias, you remember Ananias? He was the one that healed Paul's eyes when Paul was blinded on the way to Damascus. That was Ananias. Then there was guys like Gals like Philip's four unmarried daughters. Remember, Philip the deacon had four daughters who were all unmarried and they were all said to be prophetesses. Then you have people like uh, Agabus from Judea. Remember Agabus, don't you? That's what I thought. Yeah, Agabus who came down and prophesied to Paul about what was going to happen when he goes to Jerusalem. We're told that there was miracles at work in the midst of the church of Galatia and 
the church of Thessalonica were told not to despise the prophets, not to despise prophecies. They were told that in a letter to the apostle Paul, which means that it wasn't Paul who was there giving the prophecies. Unless we forget that wrapped up in the new covenant, we talked about this in the week, week two of this series, that with the coming of the Holy Spirit, one of the miraculous gifts was tied into the new covenant, the gift of prophecy. Remember, Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he quoted the book of Joel when everybody was freaking out because they said, what, what are these guys doing? They're speaking in different languages. They all must be drunk. And Peter says, nah, too early for that. And he quotes this verse, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. This was Paul addressing all of the Early believers, the 120 in the upper room speaking in tongues. Is there any indication that Peter or Joel was only speaking about the apostles having these gifts? As you read this, do you think this is, well, this is clearly only talking about the apostles? No, because it says all people. Unless you believe that some of the daughters and the women were apostles. Because he says the sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men, young men, visions, dreams, both men and women. He said, I'm going to pour out my spirit in the last days and they will prophesy. This phrase, the last days, we're still in them. We're still in them. I will pour out my spirit in those days. We're still in these last days. The spirit is still inhabiting his people. These visions and dreams and prophecies were promised with the coming of the Holy Spirit for common Christians, young, old men, women throughout the last days. Nowhere in scripture do we find it stated that the miraculous gifts of the Spirit were only going to be for a short time or only going to be for the apostles or those closest to him? There is nothing in scriptures that says they will cease until the coming of Jesus himself when these gifts will no longer be needed. So, in my never-to-be-humble opinion... There is no good evidence to believe that these gifts aren't available for those in the church. However, it doesn't mean they're available to everyone. It doesn't mean they're going to be given to everyone. Let's continue in our text. All these are the work. All of those gifts that we just looked at are the work of the one and the same spirit. And he, meaning the Holy Spirit, distributes them to each one just as he determines. So all of these are the work of the Spirit and the Spirit doles them out. 
All of these gifts are available, and he says, I want you to have that one, and 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 you to have that one. It is the Spirit who doles out these gifts however he chooses. Here's what Scripture teaches. Everyone gets a gift. If you're in Christ, you have been given a gift. No one has no gift. So you say, I don't have any gift. Yeah, you do. You may not be exercising it, but you have one because you're in Christ. Everyone gets a different gift. I mean, it's not the same, okay? But no one gets all the gifts except for Jesus. You go back and read that list. Jesus had every one of them. You're not Jesus, okay? So everybody gets a gift. No one gets no gift. Everybody gets a different gift and no one gets all the gifts, so how do we know this? Again, let's look at our text. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ. You collectively, like as a part of the church, you're part of the body. You are the body of Christ. And each of you, now we're getting to individual. You is collective. This you is collective. But each one of you individually are a part of it. You have a part to play in the body of Christ. And God is placed in the church. First of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, different kinds of tongues. Here's where I get a little bit snarky. People who know me well know that's not rare. I think he mentions prophets and healing and tongues and miracles if, if those were only meant for the apostles, then why did he have to list it alongside of apostles? If they were only for the apostles, then you'd just have to say apostles because all of those would be included with apostles. But he doesn't say that they're just for the apostles. He says, each of you who are part of the body that make up the body, each one of you have a part to play. And here are some of the parts that are to be played. Some who are apostles and prophets and teachers and workers of miracles and healings and tongues and guidance and helping. All of these are part of what make up the body. And each of you have a part to play in it. So, in this, Paul lifts out some more gifts and each of us have a part to play because we each make up the body of Christ. Again, your gift was given for the sake of the body, not for you in isolation, but only for you in community. And then Paul adds, are all apostles are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, when Paul wrote this, he wrote it rhetorically because he wasn't standing there to listen to them answer. But the good news for us today is I am here and I can hear you answer. So we're not going to operate this these lists of questions rhetorically, I'm going to ask you to answer them out loud. And PV, please play along with us today. Are all apostles? You can do a little bit better than that, I think. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? 
are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No. The answer to all of these is no. None of these gifts are given to all people. Not all are apostles, not all are prophets, not all are teachers, not all work miracles, not all have gifts of healing, not all speak in tongues. Nobody has, there's not one gift that's given to everybody. These gifts have been given to whomever the the spirit desires. And thus this idea that, there, that you would have to manifest one of these miraculous gifts, this mostly gets tied to the speaking in tongues piece, that you have to speak in tongues or you aren't saved, is blasphemous. This scripture tells us plainly, not all are given this gift. There is not one gift that's given to everybody outside of the gift of the Holy Spirit himself. So here's the bottom line. You have a gift that was given for the sake of the church. You don't have them all. And you don't get to decide which gift you get. The Spirit determines that. And I believe that they are all available because the same Spirit who was at work in the first century church is still at work in the 21st century church, which begs the question, Why don't we see the supernatural gifts that the early church did? Why don't we see them more at work in the church today? And not unrelated to that is, why is it that when we see the miraculous gifts at work in some churches today, they're just weird? And it seems like there's a lot of faking going on. And the answer to that is because there is a lot of faking going on. Because from the very beginning of the giving of the Spirit, there were those who wanted to try to leverage the power of the Spirit for their personal gain. And you can fake these gifts and gain notoriety and fame and money and power, and people have been doing it from the very beginning we should not just throw the baby out with the bathwater and say that because people abuse these giftings, they aren't available anymore. We should, however, always test the spirits that are behind the giftings to see if they align with the word of God, that the people who are practicing them are producing the spirit, I'm sorry, the fruit of the spirit of God. So again, why don't we see them more? I don't have a verse for this. So this is just my opinion. Take that for what it's worth. I don't think we see the miraculous gifts of the Spirit mostly because we rarely put ourselves in a position to need the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. It's on us. It's not on him. The gifts of the Spirit are mostly, as you go back and read through Scripture, are mostly used when the gospel is taking ground into hostile territory. That's where you see the gifts of the Spirit utilized the most. That's why they were prevalent in the early church, because the church was taking ground across the world for the kingdom. That's where you see these gifts alive and well today all over the world. 
You talk to those in Nigeria and Christians in Indonesia and in China and Saudi Arabia, and, and you will find people who are experiencing these gifts every single day. If you spend uh, almost any time with missionaries who are going into foreign lands where the gospel has not taken root or church planners who are trying to take ground for the kingdom, you will hear story after story of the Spirit showing up in powerful ways through all of these giftings. The Spirit shows up in places where the gospel hasn't taken root. And frankly, most of us aren't doing anything personally to advance the kingdom. So why would we expect the Spirit to show up in powerful ways? Why would we expect the Spirit to do the miraculous when we never put ourselves in a position to need the miraculous? It's our fault, not his. As we wrap up, I want to end with Paul's exhortation to the church of Rome. In Rome, Romans chapter 12, here's how Paul talks about the gifts. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. And if, if it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then, in, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. In other words, Paul says, there's all of these gifts and they're all available and you have one of them, so use it. Whatever the gift that he's given you, do something with it. Because the church, the kingdom, needs you to put your gifts into practice so the kingdom can advance. Father, we are grateful that you have gifted us. And I pray today that you would awaken in us the the gift of the spirit that you've given us and give us the courage to go do something with it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.